as I look at this table, just kudos to uh, uh, Christina Smith for taking care of communion today. Um, Martha is training her to take care of me. Martha's taking com- communion. You've done what, for a year or two? I don't know. Maybe, it might be 20 years from now of, that she's been doing it. And so Christina's uh, helping, and it's kind of nice to have a sub if you need to do something. So thank you so much for preparing this for us. Uh, all, all those things. Do you ever think about those things? This is not my message. This is the message before the message. Uh, do you think about... They, they go to the upper room, or they go to the Last Supper, or they go, somebody did something to make that happen. You know, all these beautiful events we see in the Bible just didn't happen on their own. It happened because somebody behind the scenes was making this possible for us to enjoy today, and children's ministry, nursery, all the stuff that's going around, on around the church, just even the, the cleaning and, and the work that goes on, the mowing, thank you mowing crew, and everybody who does something, thank you. Aren't you glad you didn't pull in today and look like that the, the yard needed to be bailed with a hay baler? Aren't you glad you didn't walk in the door and say, wow, this place is filthy? Aren't you glad you didn't walk in the door and go, man, it's 180 degrees in here. They need to pay the, the electric bill. Yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who works so hard uh, making this a wonderful place to worship. And we're going to look at something today uh, on the topic of hearing and doing. Last week we looked at hearing and hearing. Remember we, we saw last week that spiritual transformation does not happen because we have heard, but we hear and hear and hear. We keep hearing. It's a, it's a present progressive. It means you're doing it now, and you keep doing it. You keep hearing. And then we discover from the Word that when we hear and hear, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So we, faith rises up in our heart. We learned this out of Hebrews 4 and out of Romans, that Faith rises up, we've heard and heard, and faith rises up, and they get mixed together, what we've heard and faith, and then it produces success or productivity or profit or blessing, whatever. Those are the words that God uses, and something good happens when we mix hearing the Word of God with faith, and so that's what we want to do. We want that faith to rise up in our heart so we can be everything God's called us to be. Now, before we can do that, uh, we have to, before we can actually do, we have to hear. Sometimes, people will take and make those, you know, in competition to one another. They'll go to James and say, the word says this. Here's how the King James quotes. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So deceive yourself. You've got to do it. Well, we do have to do it. But you can't do something you haven't heard or been taught or learned yet. And so they're not in competition with one another. They go together. But the blessed life of the believer does not come about when we are biblically illiterate or uneducated. Now, that doesn't mean that you aren't born again and going to heaven, but the Word of God gets in our lives, and it starts, we have to learn it and take it in, and then as we start learning, now get this, as we start learning, we start submitting our lives to the Word of God and to Jesus. Now, that's a tough thing, because we're asking ourselves to die to ourselves, and everything in us doesn't want to die. So what we want to do is we want to, we don't mind getting the Word of God, but if it contradicts the way we want to live, you know what most people do? They just push the Word of God aside. I'm not going to let the Word of God change how I want to live. But the blessed life comes by allowing the Word of God to transform us. Now think of this. If Jesus came and lived and died, was brutally murdered, shed his blood, went to the cross and rose from the grave, did he do that to create a system that would make your life miserable? No, he came to give us a blessed life in him. I'm not talking some crazy pie in the sky where everything's perfect. We know we're in a broken world, but Jesus still causes us to rise above, even in a broken world, and that comes from his word and how it gets in us. But one of the problems we have is, as I've mentioned several times lately, because it just troubles me, that only 9% of Christians have a Christian worldview. 
Now, I often call the biblical worldview, but I really don't like that phrase because then people get confused. Well, you know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the Hebrews had to do this and this and this, and it gets all confused and contorted. So I just like to call it a Christian worldview. It is biblical, but it's a Christian worldview. And so we, only 9% of Christians. Now, Barna Group did their very best, their level best, to determine that who they were serving were genuinely Christians. Not just people that had, as you often hear me say, looked at a survey, pick what religion you are. I don't know, let's see, uh, I'm not a Buddhist or a Hindu. I must be a Christian, so they checked Christian. No, they worked hard to make sure, as best they could, that this group of people were Christians. And they polled them with some questions and found out that only 9% of Christians have a biblical Christian worldview. So in other words, we're looking at the world just basically like the world looks at the world. Only 4% of people in the United States of America have a Christian worldview. So we look around the culture and what the world calls good and beautiful and right and stuff, and we go, ah, oh, what's wrong with this world? Well, only 4% of people have a Christian worldview. When 91% of Christians don't see any problem with all kinds of stuff that goes on in the world, then that's why the world gets like that. By the way, I'm not picking on our culture. Every culture throughout time has not said, wow, we're just going to... The world did not wake up this morning and say, right, let's bless the name of Jesus today. Let's live godly. Let's live holy. Let's live this. But as Christians should wake up that way. And so if, you do not, if you're a Christian and you do not have a Christian worldview, it's for you know, some particular reasons. One could be that you just don't know the Bible, that you would submit your life to what God says because there's just basic pillars of a godly society that God's word teaches. And you might say, I would do those if I knew them, but I don't know them. So just keep educating yourself and keep growing. Now, maybe you know the Bible thoroughly. Because I've met people like this, they know the Bible thoroughly. But they don't believe the Bible is relevant for today. So basically, they say the culture and society is what calls the shots. And if the Bible happens to fit in with it, cool. If it doesn't, then I, I'm not going to buy the Bible. I'm not going to believe the Bible. We should let the Bible usurp authority over all of the world and the world's thinking. Maybe... You're biblically illiterate, and you're a Christian, and you choose to stay that way because, again, you think the Bible's irrelevant. I, why should I spend any time studying it? You know, why should I get to know that? It's an ancient book. You know, times change, cultures change, society changes. You know, all that's kind of true. But I'll tell you what, you go back and look through culture, 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 and you find that people haven't changed much. Now, maybe their clothing did a little, their technology did, you know, their transportation did, but people really didn't change much. And I know this about the word of God. Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Forever. And so God's word's good. It's alive. It brings life. It brings blessing. You can read that in Psalm 1 and a gazillion other places in the Bible as well. So we, we have to uh, educate ourselves in the word of God. Now, if you don't think there's a, a problem with people not having a biblical worldview, I'll share with you something from Jay Leno which is where most, most pastors are quoting Jay Leno today. Jay Leno had a program, one little snippet of this program sometimes, it's called Interviews with Man on the Street. It's Man on the Street Interviews. I don't know if you've ever seen that. So there's a guy out there interviewing people, and the topic was about Bible things. And so they found a couple of college-age young ladies and said, we got some Bible questions today, and said, number one, can you name any of the Ten Commandments? Put the mic in her face, and she goes, uh, freedom of speech? Okay, yeah, that's not right. By the way, you are allowed to laugh at these things, or cry, whichever. Uh, uh, freedom of speech, and said, no, that's not it. Said, okay. So to the other one, they said, can you finish this phrase? Let him who has no sin, and then she said, go out and have a good time? 
Uh, I thought, well, okay. <laughs> no, that wasn't it either. So I went to this young man and said, the interviewer did, and said, hey, it's Bible questions today. There's somebody, there's a character in the Bible that was swallowed by a whale. And I know we Christians want to argue about, was it a big fish or a whale? But it's just the interview, so hang with me there. Don't lose me. Uh, there's a character in the Bible that was swallowed by a whale. Can you name that character? And the person got bright-faced and said, absolutely. And with great confidence, they answered, Pinocchio. Okay, now that's not correct either. So you might see we have a little room for educating ourselves and growing in, in some Bible understanding. One of our problems I think we run into as well is we just think, you know, hey, if somebody's nice and kind and good, then their life can't be wrong or the way they're living. But yeah, it can be. You may have a neighbor in your neighborhood that's a Christian that always seems kind of grumpy. And then you have another neighbor in your neighborhood who's an atheist, who's gregarious and happy and fun-loving, invites you over for barbecues. Now, would we say, wow, then Christianity must be wrong because my Christian neighbor's grumpy and the atheist is, is happy, so atheism must be true. We wouldn't judge it like, at least I hope we wouldn't judge it like that. The grumpy neighbor probably needs to submit his life a little bit to the lordship of Jesus and quit being so grumpy, but it doesn't negate the value and the truth of Christianity. I read a story of a, a guy, he said his, his, his either his grandmother or his great-grandmother and great-father had, had a little grocery store in Chicago in the early 1900s. And there was a person that visited their grocery store regularly. And this person was very well-dressed, gregarious, funny, enjoyable, and generous. If people were struggling paying their groceries, he'd come up and pay for them. If he found out there was anybody in the neighborhood that was poor and couldn't buy groceries, he'd buy a bunch worth of groceries for them from that grocery store and have them send them to their home. Just a very generous, you know, sharp guy. And the grandma kept saying to, her, to his grandpa, I wish you were more like him. 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 Until one day the newspaper came in, there was a photo of that guy on the front page that said, public enemy number one, Al Capone. Hmm, okay. Well, she knew him a little bit in there, but his graciousness and kindness and generosity in the grocery store uh, if you don't know who Al Capone is, he's one of the early 1900s uh, leading mobsters and lead mobster in Chicago, and there's all kinds of horrible stuff he did. But we can't just judge, is somebody nice? I have all kinds of nice people who I love and care for who don't do the word of God and aren't Christians, and I don't hate them, they don't hate me. I get that, but I'm still telling you, Jesus is the answer for the world. He is the answer, and so I want to keep sharing Jesus with people. So as we look at the scriptures, you know that I have encouraged all of us, myself included, that we need to be doers of the word. Doers of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. You want to be a doer of the word. The word of God transforms our lives. And when our lives get transformed, I really believe it transforms the lives of other people around us for the good. And so we can't do the word of God unless we know it. And so we're going to go to James chapter 1. We're going to look at this. It's going to confirm what we talked about last week, that it's hearing is not a one and done, it's not a, a one-time event, it's hearing and hearing and hearing until it becomes a lifestyle. Now last week I don't think this slide went up there, maybe it did, uh, but it's the Shema slide, so I want to throw that up. This is why I mentioned last week. I want you to know this, there's nothing wrong with this. I am a skeptical person. I'm not a cynical person, but I am a skeptical person. But I'm also teachable. The first time I heard that there was no word in Hebrew for obey, I'm telling you, the first thing I thought was, that's not true. That can't be true. So I studied it. And guess what? It's true. This is, this is what the slide looks like. If you go to uh, YouTube, 
Now, the little black box there with the instructions isn't on the YouTube slide, but it looks like that. It would be a very great investment of three minutes and 26 seconds to listen to this because in the Hebrew word shema, which means to hear or listen, is embedded the concept of obedience, that if you've heard, really heard, then you obey. But there's no single actual word for obey. It's all held in there. So I would encourage you to, to look at that and listen to that. It's superbly done, and it will be a good three and a half minutes for you. So we're going to go to James now, James chapter 1. And we're going to see what the word says. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. When you hear something, you gain head knowledge. And when you gain head knowledge, you often think you know it. But don't forget the Hebrew word shema. It means you've heard and you're now doing. Until you're actually doing it, you have not, in the biblical sense, really heard. You're hearing and doing. I mentioned it last week, so I won't go into the lot. We've all talked to somebody and said they didn't hear a word I said. Now, they did. But what we mean, they're not going to listen and do anything I ask them to do. And that's kind of the concept of shema there. So it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now I want to pause there because that's kind of strange to us. I bet every one of you know what you really look like. You know why? Because you have mirrors everywhere. When this was written, mirrors were very, very uncommon. I'm not going to give you the history of mirrors, but it is pretty fascinating. So it wasn't like, I don't know, I bet we got... Seven, eight, nine, ten mirrors in our house. You would not have had that in this day. You probably would not have had any mirrors in your house. You might have seen one somewhere, looked at yourself, or saw your reflection in, in some, a pool of water, but it wasn't common like it is today. So it would be easy to look at yourself, and you may not see yourself in a mirror for another month, and then see yourself again and say, oh, I forgot what I looked like. See, that's strange to us because we have video and we have photographs and we have everything that shows us over and over and over what we look like. These people did not. So this would have had more impact to them. They look at themselves in the mirror, and after they look at themselves, they go away and forget what they look like. Now, I was on a, a motorcycle trip with a friend of mine, Vic, and we've driven to the Keys multiple times. And, and on this particular time, I had a, um, everybody calls them a, 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 what, a goatee. I think they're actually a Van Dyke, but, but anyway, you, you, you know what, the hair right there on your face? And so I was going to clean, get clean shaven on this trip. So the first day... I shaved it down, and I had a mustache where it came down, kind of widened out down here at the bottom. I kept a little soul patch right there. Uh, by the way, none of these things I would have done if I was in this region, but I thought nobody will know me. And so the next day I kept, I shaved it down to where it had kind of a normal-looking mustache and that little soul patch. By the way, Vic, every day, shave that off. But the third day, I decided that I was going to, I gave myself a little pencil mustache, a little pencil mustache. It looked ridiculous. I mean, it looked I would not have walked out in public with that anywhere else, but we were in Georgia or Florida by that time. And so as soon as he saw me, he said, shave that thing off. I said, no, I, I really like it. I, I didn't, so forgive me, but I loved messing with him because he is a super messer with people. So I said, I really like it. I said, I've actually named it Pierre. And I said, I want to I keep that. Well, now this is something because it, it was new to me. I only see myself like that once. We stop for lunch. I go wash my hands. I look in the mirror. I go, oh, my goodness. That is the most ridiculous looking thing. I had forgotten what I looked like. That, that's common if you don't have, if something new or fresh or different. Sometimes the Word of God comes, and it's maybe something you've never heard before. And so it's, it's easy to quickly forget it. That's why you want to get that Word in you. And by the way, nothing wrong with being skeptical, but be teachable. 
Guess what? The Bereans in the Bible, when Paul would teach, they were skeptical, but they were teachable. And Paul would teach the Word of God, and they would go, I don't know about that. And Paul said they would search the Scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul was teaching was true. Now let me tell you how Paul defined them. He did not define them as, well, those who, how dare them? I don't, they must not know who I am. No, they said they were more noble than all the rest because they sought the scriptures out daily to see if the things that he was teaching is true. And so when something new comes along, I don't mind you being skeptical, but search it out in the scripture. Find out, is it true or is it not true? And if it is, then we change our lives to that. So then it goes on, but whoever looks intently, say the word intently or continuously or diligently, it reminds us of our verse last week, Deuteronomy 28. But if you will hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord. Hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord. So those who, let's see what it says here, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now I want to tell you, that law is not the Old Testament law. It's not the Old Testament covenant. Because the Old Testament covenant did not give freedom. We'll talk about that in just a second. It's, it's about the grace and mercy and goodness and kindness and gospel of Jesus that this is talking about. And so it says, uh, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. So remember, there's that hearing and hearing, continuing and continuing, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. So you don't forget what you've heard. You start practicing it. See, I love the Bible. The Bible never says, after you've heard, you need to be perfect at this. You'll find this phrase all over the Bible. Put these things into practice. Practice this. Do this. Tempt this. It's just work. You're working. You're practicing. Everything in life that you first started to do, you were bad at it. I know mom and dad didn't tell you that your guitar playing was horrible the first week you had it. Well, maybe they did, uh, but it, it was. And then you practice and practice and practice. I don't care if you learn chess, if you learn basketball or a sport or an instrument or anything, mathematics, anything. You started off elementary and you built and built and built and built. And over time, you developed a proficiency at it. Same way with the Word of God. Don't get discouraged when you say, man, I heard that word. I've heard that three weeks now, and I'm not doing it yet. Just keep doing. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. God's incredibly gracious, especially we're his children. We're his children. He's incredibly gracious to us. And so just keep practicing. And it says, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What a powerful, what a powerful promise. I love, I kind of love how the King James, I do love how the King James says it better. It says, they will be blessed in all their deeds. What a powerful statement. If we hear the word, continue in it, put it into practice, and we're doers of it. Didn't say we perfected it, but we're doers of it. We will be blessed in everything we do. Who wouldn't like that? I hope you all would like that. That's a promise in the word of God. This isn't just, and by the way, I want to say this because we can get jaded, me, you, all of us can, and we can just hear that and let it go right over our head, say, well, I've had struggles and trials, so I guess that's not for me. No, this is for you. You can be blessed in all of your deeds, in everything you do. So we listen and look intently into the perfect law. Now, when we do this, I want to remind you, this is not the Ten Commandments we're talking about. This is not the law of Moses we're talking about. The Ten Commandments, you know what they give you? Death. Now, that, you may be looking at your face with a pencil mustache right now and, you know, forgetting what you look like because you just heard the Ten Commandments brings death? Where does he get this stuff? From the Bible. We're going to look at that in a second. Now, I want to say something. Am I opposed to the Ten Commandments? No. 
Do I love the Ten Commandments? Yes. Are they good? Are they pure? Are they holy? Are they wonderful? Are they gods? Yes. Well, why do you say they produce death? Well, we'll see that in a second. In fact, I love the Ten Commandments so much, I wish I had a, you know, a finger I could snap and everyone on planet Earth right now absolutely would obey the Ten Commandments. You do realize how the world would be changed just like that? There'd be no more crime, no more corruption, no more murder, no more violence, no need for, for war, the war machine or the criminal justice machine or, or any of that stuff. The whole world would change. No hunger. It would be just like that. So they're beautiful. But what we have is God in the new covenant. Remember, we're going to see that here today in the communion table. Jesus said, this is the blood of a new covenant. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. Now, I get people that say, well, but we've got to do all the old covenant. No, we don't. Well, the Bible says, no, Jesus said, Jesus said, this cup is my blood, and it is a new covenant. You know what the word new means? It means that the previous one is now old. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean it's years and years old. You ever, I don't have one with me, you get a phone with you, and it's, it's your new phone until the brand new one comes out, and then now, immediately the next day, you've got the old phone. Are you with me? When Jesus did what he did, immediately like that, everything that had been around forever became old. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. He's the creator of the universe. I'm going to say, wow, I believe you, Jesus, that this is the cup in your blood of a new covenant. So, it's not the Ten Commandments. Now, but you say, well, so are you saying we shouldn't do the Ten Commandments? Yes, we should do the Ten Commandments. Here's the problem. We have all, me too, man. We, we do everything backwards. We say this, I'm going to make myself do these laws, rules, and regulations. And then I will prove myself to be worthy to God. But it doesn't work. One of Satan's, you know, biggest lies, if you ever go out and witness and share, you'll come to some people who have a tender heart and they do want to know the Lord. And they'll say something like this. You know what? I just got some things I got to clean up first. I got some things I need to change before I can come to Jesus. Not true. Now, the beautiful thing is their heart is saying, I really do want to come to Jesus. And they also, the other beautiful thing is they do understand that coming to Jesus is a life change. They get that. The way I'm living now is not the way a believer lives, so that's good. But the problem is, they say, I've got to fix this first. And guess what? Five years later, it still ain't fixed because they don't have the capacity to do it. But if they would receive Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit would come in them and enable them. Five years later, I'll promise you this, they won't be perfect, but they'll look and say, oh my goodness, my life is so much different than it would have been. Why? Because that's God's way. You, you don't try to work through the law to get righteous. You work through Jesus to get righteous. That's the beautiful thing about him. So the thing is, is we need to start loving Jesus more. Now that's, you know, how, how do you do that? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But remember this, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I know, again, I tell you, don't ruin my fantasies. You hang on every one of my words, I know. And you, you oh yeah, I remember that, Pastor. So, so if you don't remember, just nod your head like this, and I'll go, oh, they're all with me here. Back a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I was pondering this verse and got a totally different look at it than I've ever had before. It's just, this is all part of growing in God. We've, I've always read this verse like this. The verse actually just simply says this. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, let me tell you how I've kind of always processed it. You don't keep these commandments. You call yourself a Christian? 
You don't do this stuff. If you would love Jesus, you'd do this stuff. You don't really love Jesus. So what's happening? I'm trying to get myself to prove that I love Jesus by obeying all these commands and work my way up to where I can prove, ah, he or she's a lover of Jesus. But then I just listen to the simplicity of how Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So I started thinking, huh, we're always trying to do things backwards. So I believe Jesus was saying this. Just fall in love with me. If you fall in love with me in my ways, you'll find yourself gradually keeping my commandments. And, and it's a love relationship that causes us to keep our command, his commandments. And so the more we fall in love with him, the more we understand his goodness and his kindness, we just start going, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, we're obeying more. That is the Christian way. But you and I, and I've probably done it to you too, have taught so much a, a ministry of condemnation. You better get your act together. You better do this. You better do that. And we all go, yes, I do need to get my act together. How? Try harder. I've been trying harder for 10 years. It's not working. So what happens? I need to know Jesus more. I need to fall more in love with him. I need to, I need to get his word in me. I, get to, I need to see the beauty of all that. So the answer is not the Ten Commandments, which I think we should do the Ten Commandments, but it comes through loving Jesus. The more we start loving Jesus, the more we start hearing and hearing the word of God, the more the liberty, because Jesus brings freedom and liberty, the word of God brings freedom and liberty, and so it's not a message of, let's be soft on sin, who cares about sin? It's the only message that actually gets us to deal with sin in our lives and live righteous and holy before the Lord. So I want to show you this because you think, I mean, how, how dare you call the Ten Commandments death? Okay, well, you can say that to Paul here in a second. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9. Now, if the ministry that brought what? Now, if the ministry that brought death. Now, if we stop right there, we say, I don't know what he's talking about. If the ministry that brought death. So we read on. Which was engraved in letters on stone. Now, pause for a minute and think, what in the Bible was engraved with letters on stone? I can only think of one thing. There might be others. I might have, my brain may be missing them. But I can only think of one thing. But we say, that's not enough of a hint. I need to know what we're talking about. So now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses. Okay, let's see. So we've got Moses here and letters written on stone. Can anybody make a bold guess of what the letters written on stone is? The Ten Commandments. Remember, Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. You do remember the horrible dad joke. Who's the one that broke all the, the commandments at one time? Moses. Remember that? He threw down the Ten Commandments and all broke. Yeah, that's... that's Oh, thank you for the courtesy chuckle. I appreciate that. Um, so anyway, look at what this says. Now, this, this, you may be beholding your face in a mirror for the first time as you look at these verses, but I think you're going to know these have been around for a long time. Now, if the ministry which brought death was engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because he was radiating the glory of God, because of its, because of its glory, the face of Moses, transitory, which means temporary or fleeting, transitory, temporary or fleeting, though it was. So I want you to follow this. Moses has gone up on the mountain. He's communed with God 40 days, if I understand the scripture clearly, without food or water. Supernatural presence of God. Do not try that. Do not buy into a lot of these crazy things that you say you've got to do in order to know God. You know what you need to do to know God? Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. The scriptures, all this harsh treatment of the body, it all looks good and sounds good, but it does nothing to squelch sensual indulgence. 
Hmm, okay. So Moses is in the presence of God, and he wasn't making himself do anything. He's just in the presence of God where he sustained him. He comes down off this mountain, and his face is radiant and glowing. The people couldn't look steadily at it. You ever seen a bright light, and you look at it, and you just kind of go, I can't look steadily at it. That's the way Moses looked. And it was glowing, and he actually wore a veil over his face. But that glow, that glory, it was glory, and it was real, and it was legitimate. It was temporary. It was fleeting. It was passing. Now let's just see what the Bible continues to say. So, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because its glory, transitory, temporary, fleeting though it was, will not the ministry of the what? Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Which do you want? Temporary fleeting glory or the more glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You think, well, what? Well, the Bible says this. There's these two laws mentioned. There's the law of sin and death, and there's the law of, of the Spirit of life. That's what we want to grab onto. Not the law of sin and death, but the law of the Spirit of life. So, if the ministry that brought, what's the next word? Now I want you to hear this. I'm not making this up. This doesn't make the Ten Commandments bad. It makes them ineffective at accomplishing what you want to accomplish. The ministry of Moses with the Ten Commandments and all the Hebrew rules and laws was a ministry of death that brought condemnation. Ministry of death that brought condemnation. You say, well, I don't get that. Then what was it for? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says it for. The law of God came to work like, since we've been on this topic, like a mirror. It was to show you your problem. So God said, oh, you want to be impeccably, flawlessly holy like I am? Good. Here's the rules. And we said, oh, we can't keep those. That's right. You can't. Well, we can't save ourselves if we've got to obey all the rules. You're right. You can't. It was designed to be a schoolmaster, a mirror that showed you your need for a savior. Amen. So it's like most of you went to a mirror today and you looked in the mirror and the mirror probably got revealed first thing this morning wasn't that wonderful. And so you said, I need some work. So maybe you looked at yourself and you said, you know what, I, I need a shave. I mean, Tyler didn't say that, but, you know, several of us said, I, I need a shave. Now, when the mirror revealed to you that you needed to shave, did you grab the mirror to shave yourself? No. It just revealed the problem, and you went to the proper instrument to solve the problem. You look at your face after working out in the yard, and you go, wow, my face is filthy. Do you use the mirror to wash your face? No. Use soap and water and washcloth to wash your face. The mirror just is revealing the problem. The law of God reveals the problem. We need a Savior, and we can't save ourselves. This is the, whew, this is the good, glorious news of the gospel. That if we'd ever get a hold of it, and teach it, know it, and live it, Maybe there'd be people who want to know Jesus because they'd see this glorious gospel that we have. I'm not making this stuff up. This is just right out of the Bible. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Ah, oh, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is coming. He has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. A ministry that brings righteousness. Now, this is Paul sharing this stuff. By the way, for those who may not know this, Paul was actually trained this stuff and taught this stuff by the resurrected Jesus. Did you catch that? You may have not noticed that as you read, read the scripture. He was taught this by the resurrected Jesus. And he went around teaching this everywhere for many years. And then he met the apostles 
like Peter and John and all those. And he said, why don't we compare notes? And he found out, we're preaching the same thing. Of course they were. Now, if they wouldn't have been, there would have been a problem, but they were. And so you say, well, maybe this is just Paul's thing. No, this is John's thing, too, because we don't have a slide for this. But in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus. Grace and truth. Now, because we have such a mindset of condemnation, we think, well, we, you can't just teach grace and truth. But if we pause for it and say, I shouldn't say that because Jesus is the one that brought that. We need to teach the law, brother. You need to teach sin hard and hell hot. That's what we, that's what we need. Sin is hard. We need to know that. Hell is hot. That is true. I, I'm not dismissing those realities. But to get to a godly life, it'll come through Jesus. It won't come from me using a ministry of condemnation. John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, so what are we saying here? We're saying there's a Christian gospel. And Paul said, if I come back to you teaching anything other than what I've just taught, or an angel from heaven comes teaching anything that I've just taught, let them be accursed. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Does it negate the law? Does it negate right living? Absolutely not. But see, we're biblically illiterate. We're uneducated to understand this because people say, Trace, you just can't teach grace because you teach grace. People go live like the devil. That's because we don't understand what grace is. The Bible says, for the grace of God has appeared, which brings salvation to all people. And it, the grace of God, teaches us to live godly, upright lives in this sinful and perverse generation. It teaches us to say no to worldly living and ungodly living. So what are we saying? God's way works. The Bible's true. It's not just, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to obey all these rules. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to operate in the law of grace, the law of the spirit of life, and the law of grace over time will start teaching you to say no to ungodly and worldly pleasures. The law of grace will start teaching you to live upright in holy lives. So it doesn't diminish holiness, it creates holiness. It allows us to finally walk in holiness. Because I'm telling you, the ministry of condemnation, if it was a great ministry, Jesus would have never come. God would have said the, the ministry of Moses, of the Ten Commandments and the Jewish laws, that's all we need. But no. See, I'm going to deal more with this. And it's one of the hardest topics to deal with. And I'll tell you, some people say, well, I think hell would be hard to preach. Hell, hell's very easy to preach because it's so clear in Scripture. It's a hard topic. You get that idea? What I talked about about our culture a few weeks ago, that's very easy to preach because it's so clear in Scripture and in every other evidence of life. But it's so unpopular in the culture to talk about those things that that's the only thing that makes it hard. What makes this topic hard is we have been indoctrinated with a min the ministry of condemnation. And so, you know, you, you teach this, which... Can you all agree we've just been talking about the Bible? Yeah. You, you just look at the Bible, and it's like, ah, I don't know, but, uh, ah. Well, be like the Brians, be skeptical. I don't mind if you go, I've done this before, that is so wrong, but I'm fair, and I'll say, I'm going to go to the Bible, and that is not right. And when I come up for air later, I go, huh, that was right, it was true. So I don't mind you being skeptical, but be teachable. And here it says that the ministry of the law of Moses and all those commandments brought condemnation and brought death. So we needed a savior. Jesus was the answer. So we have to get past this concept of, 
of unless you preach sin hard and hell hot, I think we're slacking on our duties. Again, I'm not opposed, as you know, to preach on anything, but how we get to right living is through Jesus and grace, not through the law. But see, the devil loves us to go that route. Why? Because we never make any progress. We never make any traction. We never get further down the road because it's all about, you've got to obey this, obey this, obey this, obey this. And then we've, even if our hearts are tender and we say, I want to, we find ourselves failing. So then we come up with one or two things. Either one, we just start lying about it and saying, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I live perfectly. Or we get discouraged, and guess what we do? Quit. I was heartbroken when I heard a guy in a waiting room one time, my buddy was sharing with him. He said, man, you, you need to know Jesus. And his, I never forgot his words because they, they hurt. He said, I tried that. He said, I, I just couldn't keep the pace. I know what had happened to him. He gave his heart to the Lord, and he had well-meaning Christian friends that said, now you've got to stop that, start this, don't do this, don't do that, quit that, by all means, never do that, and this and that. Are you with me here? Do I think the gospel transforms our lives? Yes. Do I believe that eventually he would have stopped this and stopped that and started this and changed that? I think he would have if he would have had the gospel of grace because he would have been taught the word of God will transform you. The power of the Holy Spirit will transform you. But he was at a starting point. of I got to obey all these things to move to the next step, and he could never obey him. And so he was discouraged. And what did he do? He bailed. He quit. He said, I, I can't do it. So I want to encourage us to keep hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. And we are in a culture that it's so easy to do. There are so many opportunities for you and I to get on podcasts, go to YouTube, have, have devotionals sent to our inbox, to get on our smart devices, to, to go to the Christian bookstore and buy a thousand different products that we can get the Word of God in us. Uh, it's just everywhere. We could, we could even do something crazy. I know this is crazy. We could even do something crazy and just like, open this thing and read it. I know that's a wild concept, but those are, those are things we can do. I want to say this. There's also a lot of trash out there. So I want to encourage you, go, if you're looking for something, go to a respected man or woman of God who is noted for rightly dividing the word of truth and get some good teaching from, from them, but not the, all the fringe crazy stuff that's out there. So that's our assignment for this week. Let's keep hearing and hearing. See if you can develop a rhythm in your life this week for input of the word of God. You're all different. Somebody will tell you, you've got to get up at 5 a.m. and do this. No, you don't. If I had my druthers, I'd never see 5 a.m., okay? I'm not a natural morning person. Well, you can do it on lunch. You can do it in the evening time. You can, it's just a thousand different ways to do it. Don't let anybody box you in. Find something that works for you where you can find a rhythm in your life for getting the Word of God put into your spirit. Then faith arises. We mix the Word with faith, and then we produce results in our lives. So let's just keep doing that over and over and over. And it'll transform our lives as believers. Just keep putting it into practice and putting it into practice and putting it into practice. So God did not call us together here for me to send you out the door feeling condemned, shame-filled, belittled, beat up. Now, I want to say this. The Word of God does bring correction and rebuke. Rebuke's a strong correction. So, just something off the top of my head. Maybe you got a habit of stealing and maybe I didn't, but maybe in my verse today there would have been, in my message, a verse, he who has been stealing must steal no more, but do something useful with his hands so he may share with others. And you might have left feeling condemned, like, oh, I need to quit stealing. You do. And I want to encourage you to submit that to the lordship of Jesus. 
and fall in love with him, fall in love with his word. Say, you know what? I'm going to practice not stealing. I'm going to practice being honest and having integrity. And you put that in practice, and one day, all that will be behind you. 